Hey team, welcome to episode five of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Christine and Charles here today, and we're gonna talk about lending. Probably the last thing most of you want to do is think about how to take on more debt. And even if you're open to it, it might be something you think a bank won't do. But today we're gonna explain to you why it might make sense to take out more debt, why a bank might do it, and also give you some of our experiences with lenders and practice acquisition. So before we get started, I wanted to ask you, Charles, what's the biggest lending win that you've been part of uh, in all your history working with a client? Yeah, so lending is obviously big, just the amount of debt that you know most of our clients are coming out with four or $500,000. For them to even envision they're taking on six, $700,000 of more debt, buying buildings, be millions of dollars in debt, it's just, it's, it's a bit overwhelming uh, for many of the people that we work with. And uh, let me give you an example of a young man. He was a practicing orthodontist, and he had been out for a number of years, and he was associating, and he was doing roughly the equivalent of about $2.5 million in production. So a real busy guy mm-hmm. placing, I don't know, somewhere around 500 uh, starts in an orthodontic practice, and he was getting paid a roughly about $300,000 a year. Not bad money. Not bad. And so he was doing really well. He's doing his best to, to pay down uh, some of his uh, dental school debt. We had a tremendous amount, five to $600,000 of debt, but uh, he had no money, mm. okay? no liquidity. No savings. And so we we're, we got this great practice for sale. It was an amazing like $2 million practice. It, it was like a really expensive price, like $2 bucks. And there was a ton of cash. It had like a 40, 45% overhead. And so this particular person uh, had the ability to make almost $1 million a year mm. doing the exact same dentistry, putting brackets and wires on. Right. And so it was he and several other candidates that, that had applied for this. He didn't get the loan. Okay. Mm. The flat out just denied. And so I spent some time with him and he was really crushed because he was like, I just feel like I just can't get ahead. And so I just had some one-on-one with him. I said, look, you've got to refocus. For the next year, we just stayed in touch and I really wanted him to pay very minimal down on his uh, dental school. He just, all of his loans, I said, I need you to build some cash. Just get me to 60,000 of cash and let's find another practice. And fast forward, we bought another about $1.7 million practice. He's making well over a million dollars a year now as a business owner and it just goes to show you that it, cash just it really solves problems and these banks will really talk about what they're looking for they love some cash yeah i know and it's crazy because it seems like they don't need you to use it they just want you to have it and right so it's like you just kind of kind of play by their rules and yep. save the money and i think that's why we both try to stress that to these students when we go to schools is like just save money just save money because we've seen it happen where they haven't had time they can't buy it let me reiterate that just for uh our group here they will lend you 100 percent. so if it's a million dollars they're gonna be a million dollars this 40 50 60 thousand dollars of cash liquidity is all for one reason one reason it's just for show just to show them just to show look i'm pretty good steward my money i got the money hey i look pretty good they'll give you the million bucks they'll give you whatever dollar amount and now you just sit with that money and the next day you could do whatever you want with that money and exactly. they don't care exactly yeah. go gamble doesn't make a difference you got to have that liquidity okay so recently i worked with a woman mm-hmm. who was an associate in a practice and the owner of the practice just was not doing a great job like they didn't really care about ownership they were classifying expenses wrong like really we just weren't maximizing the practice new patients weren't coming in she wasn't advertising so associate had the opportunity to buy it 
and knew, because she had been there for two, three, four years, that right. this could be something, right? right? In a very concentrated, competitive area. Um, and so she said, I want to do this. Well, the problem was the cash flows were so poor. Second problem is also she did not have any money saved either. You mm-hmm. know, second ding against her. Um, and so she went to the bank, and all the big banks said no. All the regional banks said no. So she ended up saying, what else can I do? So we talked about seller financing, but she really didn't want to do seller financing. So she ended up going to um, Sophie, which actually does practice financing, um, and went to them, and they offered her a personal loan at 12.5%. Yikes. Yeah, super high. So I got, someone contacted us because we get banks who randomly reach out to us all the time and said, hey, we're doing this and this and this, and it kind of fit what her opportunity was. Got her connected they ended up doing the loan, ended up getting her for seven and a half, which is still super high. Right. But now instead of making eighty, she's making anywhere from one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty, and she's going to be able to refinance that debt here in a year because there were no prepayment penalties. And she's now in the ownership position. New patients are picking up. I just spoke with her. Practice is going well. You know, it was just really about getting her in the door to start the opportunity because once you're in there, you can you know make it what you want. And there are times when banks can't see that and I think that leads into kind of like the number one thing they look at you know it's funny when you're an associate in a practice you just have a totally different sets of eyes yeah absolutely but now as an owner you're looking at how do I spend my procedures Uh, maybe I'm taking the CE courses I'm gonna think about new marketing strategies I'm gonna cut these costs because uh, you just have a huge incentive so just we're talking with this candidate uh, we're able to see uh, just from from chart audits and just kind of see the overall vision where she was trying to take it this thing was going to take off. So we, yeah. we were able to see that. But unfortunately, when the banks look at it, they don't they're, see it. they're not looking at the Mm-mm. future. Mm-mm. They're just looking at the past. And so what does someone who is thinking about practice ownership tomorrow or a year from now, what do they need to be doing and focusing on personally? Right. Well, first of all, this is not the Charles Loretto opinion. <laughs> this is the, These are the national banks. And so I've, uh, I've been privileged to speak with many of them on stages and watch many of these national lenders as they're presenting, mm-hmm. presenting at seminars. And so they will tell you that liquidity. Okay. So they want to see that liquid cost. There are some banks that don't require or require less on the liquidity side, but for the vast majority of the banks out there, they want to see that you've got that cash. They want to see you've got, you know, a decent uh, credit score. North of 700, it gets 725, better credit score, you know, the better. Uh, they also look, I think was very interesting, is just your, your personal expenditures. And I, and I thought this is a great example. It just shows you the point how they look compared to maybe how you might look at it. So I want you to assume you've got a car loan and it, you only owe $2,000 on it, $2,500. Bucks. But... You structured that loan maybe over like a a 36-month period, and maybe it was like a $40,000 car, and you have payments that are due at $1,200 a month. So regardless, you only owe two payments left, and to your eyes, you can just write a check maybe for that $2,500. When they're looking at lending you money, they're seeing cash flows of that $1,200. They're seeing your your rent. They're seeing your the fact that you refinance your dental school loans and you, you put those down at 10 years as well. And you're rapidly trying to pay all this stuff down, but your cash flow at home is so tight. So when you get in these situations where these practices don't have tremendous cash flow and all of a sudden yours looks really tight, this is where the bank says, yeah, I'm not interested. And we start limiting our options here. So wait, let me get straight. So they only look at the amount 
they don't look at how many payments you might have left. So regardless, right. if you only have one payment left, they're going to assume you have that payment for the next 10 years. Yeah, you're going to replace that $1,200 payment with another $1,200 payment. It's just they're looking at these numbers. So, And this is what's important for us, having these relationships early on with many of you, is just to see some of these things and maybe just having conversations. If we know you're going to buy a business in, in six months or 12 months or even two years out, maybe you're listening and you're in the military, we want to invite you to have these conversations early with us just so we can introduce you to maybe some of these banks just so you can have these conversations so you don't get blindsided 30 or 60 days prior to closing. I think that's an important note because financially, those are good decisions, right? You're saving yourself interest long term by refinancing your student loan debt, by structuring car payments over 36 months instead of seven. But it's, again, very black and white. They look at your cash flow. And I didn't know that about the car payment. So that's, that's an interesting new tidbit. Uh, let me just yeah, change gears too. So what, what do you think is important? You're signing off on all these valuations that we're doing as, as a firm. But when you look at cash flow, let's talk a little bit about cash flow and why it's so important and what's, what goes into valuations. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've signed off on around 45 valuations this year, probably looked at another 50 plus. So, I mean, 100 valuations come across our desk and we look at them and analyze them. And there are so many intricacies that go into this. I was talking about this this morning that, you know, you have a practice that is super risky. So doctors walking away, it's uh, maybe oral surgeries, so super referral based, a big hospital affiliation, brand new equipment. But the profitability is amazing. Profitability is like a 28% overhead, right? I, even though that's super risky, I might be willing to pay more for that because I'm going to get that payback much sooner. Definitely. Right? And so so banks look at it very black and white like that. They don't look at opportunity in the future. Um, and I don't either from a valuation perspective. So I think it's important when you're talking about valuations is what method are we using, right? Like are we using capitalization of earnings or market approach? I mean, every valuation analyst probably has a different perspective on why they use it, although there are some standard ones. You know, it's science and art. But I think also looking at it and saying, There's a difference between a value and a price sometimes. Mm -hmm. A practice can value at one thing, but you might be willing to pay more or less than that value because of the opportunity you see, because of the brand new equipment and you you don't want, you have no interest in, you know, putting lipstick on a pig or whatever it might be. So it's important to understand the value. It's understand how it came, how you arrived at it, all the factors that maybe make it more or less risky. But at the end of the day, it's also a transaction, right. and it's also your tolerance to how and what to spend on that. And banks obviously look at those things too. Any, anything to add on that? So let me give you kind of three examples. So I've got a million-dollar practice, and for three years in a row, it does a million, million, million. And the overhead is 60%, and that's 400, 400, 400. Um, we pretty much know what we're buying. You know, if I'm six months into the year of this year – and it's got 500 on the books and it's showing 200 profit, I'm feeling pretty good, mm-hmm. right? I, it, it, it's showing a lot of consistency. Um, if I've got a million, million, and all of a sudden my last year, uh, it did, you know, 700 and 750, I'm asking lots of questions. What happened to that doctor? What happened to that practice? Now, I may give it a little credit, you know, maybe I go six months into this year and we're back up to pace in the million. I'm going to definitely ding it on it only did 750 the, mm-hmm. that previous year, but... I like consistency, and most importantly, this episode is about what does the bank, bank like. And so yeah. uh, when buying your practices, you are the person with lots of experience. Yes. Um, you know, you, you definitely wait 
uh, that last year, the last yeah. full production year. It's not just a, you know, she don't take five years, the last five years and only get 20%, you know, weight of that last year. That Absolutely. last year is, is definitely a key critical, indicator. For sure. And it's the one, you know, a practice will value higher if it is consistent. Now a practice will value less simply because we're putting more weight on that last year, but it could be. And we see this happen, unfortunately, pretty frequently when we have sellers who are nearing the end yes. and they either get sick or they just get tired and burn out. So they start working less. They start taking less new patients. They start being less productive. Right. And so there's a story behind why it might have declined. Right. But at the end of the day, if I'm a bank or a buyer, that's my opportunity to then grow it. I'm not going to pay for that opportunity. I'm going to pay for what it's done. And yes. that's the consistency. And that's where the value comes in. And I think it's in, that's cool. What we're doing is we're helping with that emotion because the emotion says not to do it, sometimes to do it. And we're kind of pulling them or pushing them, you know, one way or uh, another. Um, you know, that third example I was going to use, we had the, the, the consistency of million, million, million. And you got the practice that does a million, million, and the 750, and it, it's still maybe a little bit lower than next year. You know, we're definitely offering less in that second scenario. Mm-hmm. The third scenario is it did a million and maybe did like a million two, but now it's pacing a million five, mm-hmm. maybe a million six. Maybe we just recently acquired a practice uh, down the street, and so all of a sudden that's, that's causing our new patient flow collections. We brought those patients in. We're, we have a high, much higher profit margin. This is one of those times where, um, you know, for us when we're looking at it is maybe that valuation comes in at 75, 80% of those last three years, but we see this stock and it's totally taken off. We are so excited. You know, this is where we're like, yes, do not screw this up. This is an amazing opportunity. So it comes down to kind of looking at those last several years and figuring out what it's worth. Yeah. And it may be that, you know, the practice is cyclical, right? I mean, there we've, we've worked with a practice and unfortunately lenders did not see this and take this into account and it was unfortunate but we've worked with practices where if you look at the last seven years it's been a million and then it'll go down to 700 and then it'll go back up to a million and again it goes back to what effort did the doctor put in how many vacations did they take um and so you know if, if you're a seller and you're thinking and trying to understand what a lender is looking at again consistency so if you know that when you're not in the office that the you know that your collections are down and you are okay with that. You have to also be okay with the fact that it might impact your selling price and what a buyer can get from a lending perspective. So I think it's just important to think about consistency from a buyer and then also just from a seller. Just how do I prepare my practice to sell? You got to be consistent and not not give up at the end. Yeah, most of these selling doctors, I mean, they just get really comfortable. And I mean, you're going to get comfortable as well. You do some for yeah. thirty to forty years, you're going to get pretty relaxed. You get your you're making your money, you got your retirement working, got your kids, grandkids. It's kind of fun times. You want more and more time off. They go from 200 plus days a year down to maybe 150, 160 days. So you're going to see declining revenues or just some influxes. Maybe they've got a surgery they got to deal with on themselves. And so you just see this up and down and, and the banks they just don't like it. Yeah. They just, they just They're don't like They're not going to pay it. for your opportunity. Right. right. That's right. So, okay, so cash flows. So we just yep. kind of talked about cash flows and consistency and why that matters and why value might be different with the price. There's obviously other factors that banks are looking at too because they are concerned with you as a buyer and the risk. So what are some things that you think are important from a risk perspective, right? If a bank's going to look at this, at this deal you've laid out on the table and said, okay, the cash flows make sense, 
what else are they going to look at that's kind of one of those critical factors? Well, let me talk about the dentistry part first. And then I know that when you value businesses, you know, the 50 plus that you'll sign and the 50 to other 100 that you'll review this year, plus the ones I'm looking at, collectively, we're definitely having opinions on a couple hundred dental practices each per year. Let's just talk about the dentistry because I think one of the, the things that the bank is really, really critical about is just the overall collection. So let's just talk, again, the million dollar number is simple because it breaks down nice and pretty. If we had a million dollar practice and it did 750 of doctor production, 250 in hygiene, they want to see a young person that's been out maybe one or two years. They want to see that consistently that they're doing that adult restorative dentistry. If you've been working in a Medicaid practice because you can make $200,000 a year and you were just treating a bunch of kids, believe it or not, the major lenders will look at that. They're actually going to look at your employment agreement. They'll look at how much you're, you're getting paid. They'll get back in the percentage. They'll see the doctor production you're doing. And um, you know, even look at the procedures that you're doing. They're not just going to lend you a yep. million, two million bucks for a, say it was a really high restorative implant, all on four case, and you've been working on uh, Medicaid you know, yeah. Pete, it's just not going to happen. So when they're looking at this, they want to see that, yes, you can do the work. And then two examples here is if the collections from a, a doctor production is higher than what you've been able to do, this is the perfect time. And we want to build a model for you to show you how to employ the senior doctor back in the practice. Mm-hmm. And let's work on even how much dentistry, how many days that they would work for you. Because yep. in dentistry, where you make the money is when you do the work. And then the other example is if you buy a practice, the doctor collections are lower, that's going to be that example to where we don't need senior doctor around, you know, very much. Maybe we're just paying a per diem and not really on collections. We're kind of there to help kind of mentor Absolutely. you through this yeah. process. So how many factors approximately do you have when you're when you're valuing businesses? Yeah, so when we're valuing a business, there's around 30 pieces of like risk, right? right? Risk is good and bad in our world. But there's 30 things we're looking at from staff and how long they've been there to equipment age to Death? is it elite? Yeah. If they die, is it yes. worth a lot? No. Okay, no. okay. That goes down considerably, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I wish I could good, help out there, but The goodwill is hard to trans- <laughs> tra- transition when you're yes, not there. Exactly. Yeah, that transition period. You know, how long is seller wanting to stay around? If seller is done and they're giving you the keys and walking out tomorrow, or if they're willing to stay around and help transition the patients, especially if it's referral-based. So if you look at the allocation on any valuation or purchase price, there's a huge chunk of it that's goodwill, right? right? And there's a huge chunk of it that the banks understand that goodwill is what you're buying. That's right. And that's where their risk is. And so if you are straight out of dental school, you've never owned a practice, even if it's a smaller practice, they may look at you and say, we understand that you might be able to do this work. It's a small practice, but you've never owned a practice. And so how long is that seller staying around or what kind of support are they going to give you? Now, it may not be a two-doctor practice and they may not be anything for that that seller to do production-wise. Um, On the flip side, it could be a $1.7 million practice and there could be a gap in between what they know you can do and what a seller can do. And so they may want the seller to stay around there. It goes back to the cash flows. Can the practice support for you to pay the seller? So I think that for me, because there's such a big piece of what you're buying is the goodwill, it's an important consideration almost as much as the cash flows is, can I take over the dentistry? Can I transition the patient's If it's referral-based, it becomes infinitely more important than just general. Not that it's not important in a general, you know, it can be a critical component, but I think that that's important. Um, So we recently had a client who had worked in another state 
mm-hmm. and was looking to relocate. Mm-hmm. So they found this good region um, in a mountain state. You can do the dentistry without question. It is a one-doctor practice without question. Mm-hmm. But the bank wanted a seller carry right. on it. And we said, that makes zero sense. These cash flow, I think it was a 50% overhead. The cash right. flow is more than made sense. And so we went back to the banks. Then the banks came back and said they wanted a one-year transition plan. I think there was like... 600,000 of doctor production made zero sense. Um, But when I talked to the banker, it was basically, hey, we understand it's not a two-doctor practice. We understand there's no need for that clinical production, but the person's moving to a new area and they made the comment that the seller was going to be leaving the day after they close and that presented a risk to them. And so they added this condition on, right? So now we're having to deal with that condition and help explain why that's necessary. So just know that lenders look at that and it's important to them and that that transition plan can make or break a deal. Listen, I love banks because we got to have banks, but some of the decisions that they have, (laughs) I'm absolutely clueless. I mean, I joke around (laughs) with them like, what in the hell are you thinking? There's not maybe a pediatric dentist in, in 70 miles and all of a sudden you're concerned because they're from a different state that they're not going to be served. Are you kidding me? There's, There's seven older doctors and all of a sudden this young guy and these patients just going to go run to the old guy? No, they want youth. They want someone who's going to be pushing and, and kind of driving the practice and new technology. But again, yeah. you have to understand their rules. So let me kind of tie this together. So what is it this bank is looking at? Very, very simple. They're looking at what's it cost? It costs 700000 Who are the collections? Maybe it's a million bucks. How much is it net? Four hundred, five hundred thousand. Can you do the dentistry? And if not, then they need to see, let's plug back in the other doctor. Then they look at your credit. Then they look at your cash. And they just start piecing this thing together. And once they have all their little boxes checked, then they put the stamp of approval. And then boom, you know, now you're ready to roll. I like it. That's a good summary. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to switch gears though. I want to talk about just some basic terms. Like we get, you know, we talk with people and they've never really had to go buy a house and there's just these terms and limits and SBA and conventional. So I just kind of want to walk through some of the things that we know that you guys might not know um, and just share a little bit of knowledge. So first, SBA versus traditional or conventional difference. Tell me. Well, you'll see 80, 90% of every deal I've done that where where you're looking at a buyer buying the practice. Let's just focus just on the practice. You're going to see some type of traditional, traditional, conventional type loan. These are going to be, you know, fixed terms, 10 year, maybe uh, four and three quarters, five, five and a quarter percent interest rate over this period of time. And then you've got your your limits. They're going to look at, they're going to say, hey, uh, a million dollar practice, most of these banks will have some type of cap, regardless if it's you know great cash flows and your EBITDA was at a really high level. Banks are going to lend around 85, 90% of collections. Yeah. I don't care if it's an endodontic practice and it does a million bucks and it's got a 20% overhead. And for the business-minded listeners, the EBITDA is something like $600,000 and you want to three or four times EBITDA, they're not going to give you a couple no. million dollars to the million dollar business. It's just not. These banks are going to lend roughly 85 to 90. The EBITDA does show that you doesn't really apply. Yeah. And okay. they will tell you that they don't have a limit, but they do have a they limit. They have a limit. And yep. I think it's important to note that that limit also is like the total amount they'll lend you, right? So right. you need working capital 
it's the practice purchase price plus the working capital. Um, right. I talked to someone earlier who wasn't aware of that, and so they thought they were going to have to invest their own money, you know, own personal savings in for working capital. But their limits, whatever that limit is, is the purchase price and any working capital that you're going to need. So it's a total amount they'll lend you. So yes. um, those exist for sure. Now, you will come across in a very seller's market where the price is really high. So let's go back to my orthodontic example. Uh, or maybe a Washington, D.C., a San Diego. You can pick just a place where we've got a high, high demand for practices that come available. And all of a sudden, this, this practice comes available. It's a million dollars, collections. The list price is nine fifty. It's almost a bidding war. So the banks are going to look at this and say, hey, the most we're going to lend is 85%, something like that. There's still another $100,000 left on the table. You're also going to see the bank will say, hey, we'll do the eight fifty, but only if the seller uh, does some type of carryback of another 100000 Or perhaps you happen to have liquidity of 100000 you might put a portion of your liquidity uh, towards, uh, towards the bank loan. And so, again, that's why I always tell people if you've got cash, it solves, uh, it solves a lot of problems. So the vast majority of the loans we see on the acquisition of the practice will be this conventional type lending. Have we started to see more and more SBA loans uh, for the, the practice? We'll talk about real estate you know, in a second, but the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, we're maybe seeing one in 10, something like that, that are starting mm-hmm. to pop up. I know you recently did one or had one approved. Um, so why don't you talk about just any of the caveats or uh, maybe some additional fees associated on the SBA yeah. loans? Yeah, so SBA is not ideal. Like if you can go conventional or traditional, that's why it's called conventional or traditional. You want to go that route. But SBA, if it's risky, if it's too big, if it's outside of your wheelhouse, if um, maybe you have some personal credit issues in the past and so you can't get conventional but they can approve you SBA, remember the goal is ownership, right? And so what SBA will mean, Small Business Administration, so it has federally kind of backed and has some guidelines. There's a lot of red tape, so a lot more hoops you have to jump through. A lot of fees. A ton of fees. So the last one I did, it was roughly like $1.75 million loan with around 50K of fees. Wow. Right? So About 3% usually, somewhere around there. Yeah. But this buyer in the door where Mm -hmm. they can make a million dollars. Right. Right? So I'm willing to pay $50,000 to get a million. At a higher percent. At a higher percent. Right. But this particular SBA didn't have prepayment penalties. So once this buyer was in the door... They can refinance in a couple years and get out of that. But there's higher interest rate, higher fees, more hoops to jump through. But again, if it gets you in the door, that's what's important. So traditional, conventional is going to be, you know, standard market rate right now, somewhere in the range of four and a half to five and a half, 10 year fixed or seven year fixed, but for sure fixed that entire time. SBA is going to potentially fluctuate with the market, mm-hmm. start off at a higher rate, have higher fees, and just more red tape and, and hoops to jump through. So let me get, just give you a, a, the, the math example here. A million dollar loan, it's traditional, and you can get it at 4.5%, which is a fantastic rate. Uh, maybe you don't have any liquidity, you've got some issues, your credit's not exactly where you want it to be, but uh, SBA will approve it at 75 That's 3%. Well, 3% on a million bucks is 30 grand a year, 30 grand of interest, which is deductible. But now all of a sudden, because you got the million dollar loan, instead of making 200 as an associate, making 400, 500 as the owner, mm-hmm. this is a no brainer. Yeah. This is a, a no brainer, but that just that, oh, that's a big number. I don't want to pay the fees. It's all emotion. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know that one of the things we always say is what else you got? 
Yeah. If there's nothing else you're looking at, this is the best deal you've got, and we can double our income, let's get it and start solving some problems. Absolutely. So we see SBA a lot with real estate. Yeah. Tell me why real estate and SBA are sometimes related. Here's the deal is when you're, you're buying a piece of real estate, they're typically looking at 20% down. Yep. So I just had this conversation with a, I'm doing a seller consulting relationship, and we've got a male seller, female buyer. And the plan is that she would buy in, the first half would be 950, the second half would be 950. So she's going to be $2 million on the acquisition loan, okay? This is going to be over a three-year period. She's a half a million dollars in debt, and then they have a home for another half a million. She's going to be $3 million in debt in the next three years, okay? Now let's fast forward, and, and the real estate's also part of this equation. Well, once she buys into half of the practice, she has the opportunity to buy into the building. She didn't have liquidity. We don't have enough liquidity to go on top of what she just bought and just to buy right. into this real estate or buy it outright. And the real estate itself is about a million bucks. So her and her husband are not sitting on 200 grand of cash. They just yeah. bought a new home, children. It's just their cash They're is being building. drained. The, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so the, the seller asked, will the bank actually lend that amount of money? I mean, we're talking $400, uh, $4 million you know, across the board between maybe the dental school refinance to the home is another one, to maybe another bank that's going to be on the acquisition, to potentially another bank, you know, on the real estate. And the answer is yes. Yeah. If it's a situation, same thing. Uh, if we're going to pay maybe nine grand in rent, and then all of a sudden we can get an SBA loan, and we got to pay some fees because mm-hmm. we don't have the liquidity. Now all of a sudden we can maybe just put ten percent down. Then sometimes it makes sense to pay those higher fees mm-hmm. so that we again. Uh, can get that piece of real estate. So SBA is just a vehicle to get you the asset, either the practice or the real estate. There are some fees involved. So it's kind of a a cost of doing business. You try to go these other routes first. You can't get it done. You go down the street and over here to the SBA. Sometimes it room. can end up being a similar process because sometimes if you're if you're buying practice and real estate together, you're going SBA. Sometimes they'll amortize it over a longer term so that your cash flows make sense up front rather than being higher because you have that higher interest rate. So um, it can be beneficial. It, the important thing is to understand what does this look like, what are my offers, lay them all out, compare them, and make the best educated decision you can that gets you into ownership. Remember, remove the emotion. Remove the emotion. Remove the emotion from all the decisions. Only I could remove the emotion from all areas of my life. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've kind of covered at least the big pieces. I mean, remember, taking on additional debt is a big deal, and we know that, and we don't take it lightly. We know you guys come out of dental school um, or residency and just have a huge burden on your shoulders. We think it's important to look at the cash flows and think about your production and think about where you want to be. All the things we've talked about on this podcast about figuring out your opportunity and getting into the right ownership. And lending is just a component of that, right? right? Like you have to take on debt in order to make money. And yes, you have student loan debt. And yes, you have a house, but none of those provide you the cash flow that the practice is going to provide you. And that provides you the flexibility to get out of debt sooner. And we're happy to talk this through with you more about your personal situation or another practice. But just remember, lending is a necessary evil and a great opportunity um, to make more money down the road. And the key is just understanding what they're going to be looking for. Absolutely. And preparing for that. That's critical. Okay, so thanks for joining us today. Make sure to subscribe via our website, SoundCloud, or iTunes. Staying up to date with the latest transition talk. Until next time, we will see you.